join me in a word of prayer before we begin this morning. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement and the warnings that we can see in it. Lord, we pray that this morning we would be encouraged by our study of Hebrews. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'll be, I'll be honest with you. I struggled with this passage a little bit this week. Um, yes, your, your priests struggle with the Bible as well. It doesn't always make sense to us. We have to work on it. We have to read and study and reflect and pray. This, we just don't kind of, you know, sometimes the Lord just gives me something to say. But this week I was, I was having a hard time with it. And part of the reason is, you know, we've been in this series in the book of Hebrews if I were the person writing the lectionary, this is not the passage in Hebrews I would have picked. This is our last passage. We're, we've skipped over chapter 11, this amazing passage about faith. We're skipping over the beginning of chapter 12. And here we've got this kind of strange text towards the end of chapter 10. This isn't even where I would have gone if you would have told me I needed to preach about something in chapter 10. And even the way it's divided out, did you, did you catch how it begins? It begins with this word of, of warning, and it was kind of a bit of a distraction for me, right? Verse 31, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of of God. Why, why, why start there of all the places you could start in this passage? And I think for some of us, right, when we, when we start with that passage, with that verse, it's hard to hear the rest of the passage, right? We, we, we might get fixated on this, this warning that we're getting about it being a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Um, it might spark this sense of God as this cosmic judge who might be out to get you. And that might be a view of God that's popular or even Christianity out there in, in culture and society. But I don't think that completely is the whole picture of who God is, right? If you've been paying attention to the book of Hebrews as we've been talking, yes, God is a judge, but what about Jesus, right? What about the Son of God? How does this fit into this equation here? I think if we read this verse and this verse alone, apart from the rest of the book of Hebrews, we might actually be missing out on who God is fully as revealed in Jesus, right? Isn't that what the book of Hebrews is about in a lot of ways? How has God revealed the full picture of who he is in Jesus Christ. Um, there's a, a theologian who once made this remark, and it's always stuck with me. Um, he said that there is no God behind the back of Jesus Christ. When we see Jesus, we are seeing the fullness of who God is, right? The image of the invisible God, right? Isn't that what it says in Colossians? So when we see Jesus, we're seeing the whole of who God is. There isn't some mysterious God operating behind Jesus. But Jesus is, in this mysterious way, fully God and fully human. And that's part of what Hebrews is trying to tease out for us here. So um, in our confirmation class, one of my other responsibilities here at the church is I am the, the uh, director of student ministry. I work with our teenagers, and, and we've been doing a confirmation class for them. And a couple weeks ago, we spent a lot of time and energy talking about 
what is the gospel? Right? That's a word we can use a lot in church settings, right? Gospel, 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 gospel. But if we're not clear on what the gospel is, right, that's, we, we might need to unpack that a little bit. And so as we were preparing for confirmation, I wanted to be sure that our students had a sense of what the gospel is. So simply translated, that word that we can translate as gospel, what it really means is good news. And here's what's really interesting about that word. That word was not something that the first Christians came up with for Jesus. It was actually a word that already, already existed in the Roman culture of the day. In particular, that word for gospel or good news was often used by the Roman Empire itself. Whenever the Roman Empire would have a great military victory, they would talk about the gospel or the good news of this new conquest that Rome had done. And so the early Christians, they did something really interesting with this word and this term, right? Because Rome was the big, the big power of the day, right? Rome was impressive. For some people, Rome was good news, right? If you were a Roman citizen, you were really excited that Rome was continuing to conquer and all of these things. But the early Christians said, let's take that idea about the strongest, most powerful government they, that the world had ever seen at the time, right? And said, what if the good news isn't about how powerful Rome is? What if the good news is actually about how amazing Jesus is, right? In some ways, right, in contrast with Rome, right? As great as everyone thinks Rome is, well, there's this Jesus guy who's more amazing, who's better, who's got better news to share with the world. And so I think that really begs the question, right? How is Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection good news for us? We can declare it to be good news, but we need to, right, actually understand, we need to feel the weight of how it is good news. It's good news because it's the story that God has started from the very beginning and comes into completion in Jesus about how God loves the world he's created, right, including us as humans who bear his image, and that how through Jesus, his one and only son, that we are being restored into right relationship with God so that we can leave behind the ways of death and judgment, right? The judgment that we do here in that beginning of that passage in Hebrews. And we leave that behind because of Jesus. And instead, we're invited to receive God's love. And not only do we receive God's love, but we're actually being invited into what God is doing of sharing this good news with the world, of restoring the earth to the way that God intended it to be, right? And when we think about it that way, that is good news, is it not? So I think when we, when we focus just on that warning passage in, in chapter 31, we might miss out, we might forget about some of that good news. I actually think that the author is using some harsher language here so that we can actually see how truly good the gospel is, right? Because without Jesus, we might not hear that as good news. And then again, as I was struggling with this passage, I, I did what my seminary professors told me to do, which was, if you don't understand something, read, behind, read, and, read what would happen before, right? Context. 
So I want to pull us back, actually, a little bit into chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles or, or your smartphones with the Bible app handy, it might be helpful to follow along because this, this wasn't read for us, but I'm going to read it. So starting in, chapter nine, starting in verse 19 of chapter 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's what the good news is, right? That because of Jesus, we're invited Right? We can boldly approach God in a way that we maybe didn't think we could otherwise. But Jesus, right? he's this final sacrifice for sin. He himself has made the way through his life, death, and resurrection. Right? That's why Jesus being this great high priest matters. In verse 22, it says that we can draw near to God with a sincere heart, and with full assurance that faith in this reality brings, right? We don't have to cower in the corner afraid of this judgmental God, but we get to stand upright and approach the throne because of Jesus. Jesus' blood covers us. When When God sees us, right, he sees sons and daughters who have been adopted into the household of God on account of Christ. That's the good news that's before us. And so what's the result of this good news? It's hope for new beginning. It's trust that God can restore and heal the things in our lives that are broken, that are out of touch with the way he intended the world to be. I think oftentimes, right, we can we can talk in church about how we just need to have a stronger faith. And that's true in a sense, right? We are, our faith does need to be encouraged. It needs to be strengthened to trust this reality about who Jesus is. But here's what I want us to think about a little bit this morning. It's not the strength of our faith that saves us, right? That's not good news if it's about the strength of our faith, my ability to believe. Do you know what saves us? It's Jesus' faithfulness to be that great high priest. And so whether you can believe that wholeheartedly, amen, or whether you've got a tepid, timid spirit that's just trying to hold on to, to some understanding of that, God is still faithful wherever your faith is, even when we waver. Jesus is faithful. That's good news. All right, let's get back into our assigned text because I wanted to frame that for us so that we can maybe encounter this text in a slightly different way. So the writer of Hebrews, right, we've talked about the warning that's there. 
he's addressing this particular community. And what's really interesting is not only is there warning involved, but there's also encouragement. A lot of our passage has encouragement that this community, they started out strongly in their journey with God. They had a lot of this assurance and devotion. But at the moment, it's kind of wavering a little bit. Right? The author says that in the early days, this community had the type of faith that could withstand persecution, that could withstand insults. Some of their members were put into jail. Some of their members had property and things taken away from them. But the hope of the gospel is what continued to carry them. I was reminded of how last week we spent some time praying for the persecuted church. Last week, November 7th, was the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And it's possible you might have missed that, right? We had a lot of things going on last week in our service. We were still celebrating All Saints. We had a joyous baptism. And so, um, actually, if you, if you take out your bulletin on the very back page here, there's some resources for continuing to pray for the persecuted church. We pray for the persecuted church every week in our prayers of the people. And something I was reflecting on as I was thinking about what might it be like to live in this kind of persecution, so I was thinking about the stories that I've heard or the people that I've spoken to who are Christians who live in areas of intense persecution. And a lot of what I hear is both a realism about what they're experiencing, but this unwavering hope and faith that they describe their lives. Yes, they might be in danger for worshiping Jesus, but at the same time, because they know who Jesus is, they can't not worship him, right? They're, they have confidence even in the midst of this persecution. And that confidence comes from knowing that the Lord is there with them, that they're not left out on their own. And so I hope our prayers can be prayers to continue to strengthen them, that they would continue to be lights in dark places. Well, I think it's possible that some of us have maybe endured insults or criticism for following Jesus. I doubt many of us have face that kind of intense threat of persecution, like prison or loss of property or even death. And I think sometimes, right, the fact that we haven't experienced that, when we hear a passage like this, it might, we might like kind of disassociate with the passage a little bit, right? Like, oh, like that's, that's not for me. I haven't, I, I don't know what that's like. And as I wrestled with this text, I do think there is a word for us in the midst of this. Maybe you haven't experienced that, but I wanted to focus in particular this morning on verses 35 and 36 in chapter 10. I'll read them again. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you, will, you may receive what is promised." I think that there is an encouragement here to both practice confidence, or another translation says boldness, but at the same time, also perseverance or endurance. And I think it's important that we hold both of these things together as the 
author suggests, right? Remember the context here. The Hebrews community, they, start, they started out strong, they started out bold, but they, they, they're in need of that reminder to persevere, that made that boldness for the Gospels maybe waned a bit. And as I was thinking about this reality, um, I, w- I likened it a little bit to some of my experience of, of running cross-country in high school. Um, if you've ever seen a big race on TV in the Olympics or something, or, or watched a meet, right, you know that everyone lines up in a giant mass at the start, and when, you know, the signal is to go to start running, it, it's, it's chaos, right? You, you're like trying to maybe not get run over by the people who are faster behind you if you've somehow found yourself up in the front. And I was a pretty average runner. I, I never made elite times, but I also wasn't at the very back of the pack. And so for me, one of the things I always had to remember, I literally had to say it to myself at the start of every me, was, Taylor, don't go out too fast. You're going to wear yourself out you're maybe not going to be able to complete the race that you wanted to, right? Because in that moment of excitement, right, everyone's going, there's all these things happening, and probably because of my own pride, I would be be thinking to myself, all right, today's the day, right? Today's the day, I'm going to go win it. I'm going to go. And usually, when I would go out too fast, what would happen is about half a mile into the race, I'd be feeling it. I was like, yeah, I went out too fast. I did that thing I said I wasn't going to do. And I'd have a hard time, like, recalibrating myself. Part of what they would teach us to do on our teams as part of our strategy is they would say, find a teammate who you know runs about the same pace with you, and you, you, both of you run together, right? You can keep each other going. You can encourage one another. You can help one another persevere and endure. Because if you match yourself up with someone who's either too fast or too slow, it, it's not quite going to work. And if I didn't get my pace right in the beginning, I'd drift even further back than I wanted to be, right? I, I might have started with a lot of confidence in, in the moment, but I had, might have had some difficulty with perseverance. I think for some of us this morning, we might need to hear that first message about having confidence in the gospel, to truly see it as life-changing good news, We need to embrace the way of Jesus and turn from patterns of living that are self-centered. Maybe we need to do that. Maybe we need to show our confidence in who Jesus is. But I think for others of us, right, as we're thinking about this, maybe we're not enduring persecution per se, but maybe we need to consider perseverance. That's what we need to hear, right? It's one thing to start. But what does it look like to finish this race that we've begun with Jesus? What does that look like? Well, in particular, this endurance that we need to do in verse 36 says, For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The will of God. Sometimes I think we can think about the will of God in this really like mysterious way. But... I think to help us think about what this perseverance looks like, it's faithfully, regularly, daily participating in small acts of obedience, right? Sometimes big acts too, but it's those small acts of obedience, of perseverance in following God 
that's really what God is after in our lives, right? In those small acts over time, right, continuing to give more and more of who we are over to Jesus, of listening to him, and then reflecting back that love into the world, right? That's what the good news of the gospel is all about. And I think, right, we can look at Jesus' life as an example of this, right? From the foundations of the earth, Jesus knew the promise that was set before him. So when Jesus became incarnate, right, when he became human, he didn't just sit back on the side and, oh, well, you know, I know how this thing is going to end, so I'm just, just going to sit around and, and, and wait for my time to go to glory with, with, with the Father. No, what did Jesus do? Day in and day out, in big ways and small ways, in small acts of obedience, he showed the world what the kingdom of God looked like, right? Those little acts of obedience. He persevered through all of that, right? Persevering even through suffering, death on the cross, and ultimately resurrection, So again, before, as we close, I want to look back at 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Once we've put our faith in Jesus' faithfulness as our great high priest and knowing that we can confidently draw near to God, I think the encouragement is for this community, and our community as well, to live like this is actually good news, right? If this is true, then what's the result? We should be loving one another. We should be spurring one another on to good deeds, right? And these good deeds aren't the way that we earn the Father's love, so to speak, right? That, let's be clear about that. That's another way of saying, oh, it's my faith that matters more than what Jesus did, but instead, right, out of, out of that reality, reality, out of the overflow of that, right, we know that we have no other way to respond and to persevere, even amidst difficulty, but to be faithful to what we know is true about God and the world around us and about this role he's given us to be co-heirs in his, in his inheritance, to help restore and renew and heal the world around us as we ourselves are being healed. Last night it came to me, as I was kind of finalizing some things in my sermon, what I realized is we're two weeks away from Advent, right? Next week is Christ the King Sunday, we begin Advent. I realized that this word of encouragement for perseverance, for reflection on who Jesus is, you know, is, is part of really what Advent's about, right? In Advent, we behold Jesus in two ways simultaneously, right? We're preparing for his coming, right? When he comes as a baby, his birth, because we know what, what that's about, right? That's the good, that's the beginning of that good news, but at the same time in Advent, we have this tension where we are also beholding Jesus' second coming, right? And in the midst of difficulty, of suffering, of life not being perfect, holding fast to the good news of Jesus' first coming, right? I think there's a call to exactly this kind of perseverance, to continue in the ways of Jesus, to show forth his love into the world by, by holding fast, by enduring.
the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.